Hello and welcome to the Tuesday Night Mystery Club. I am your host, Caitlin McCluskey, and today I am joined by one of my best friends, Gabrielle Klempt. Hello, Gabrielle. Hi, Caitlin. So Gabrielle does not know what we are doing today, so I'm going to introduce that. This is a murder mystery podcast where I tell a murder mystery story and Gabrielle can ask questions and then try and solve the mystery at the end. Oh. Along with all the all listeners at home. <laughs> oh, I like this. Okay. So today I am telling an Agatha Christie story. It is called The Murder at the Vicarage and it is the first Miss Marple case that she published. So Miss Marple was like one of her like famous detectives kind of. Should we get started? Yes, definitely. <laughs> okay. So this story starts in Miss Marple's village, the village of St. Mary Mead, and we start to get introduced by to the characters, the first being the vicar. Um and he's called Vicar Clement. He'll just we'll just go by Vicar. And he's sitting at the dinner table with his wife Griselda, which I thought was a name Gabrielle would love. <laughs> And his nephew, Dennis. And they're just eating dinner. Their maid, Mary, is serving them. And it, this kind of, like, comes up a lot in the story. It's not important to it, but it's, like, a funny anecdote where she, like, sucks at cooking and cleaning and everything else. But the wife, Griselda's like, well, I suck too, so who cares? <laughs> so that comes up. And then uh, the vicar remarks that anyone who murdered Colonel, sorry, not Colonel, Colonel, Prothro would be doing the world a large service. So that's, you can imagine, his foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. um, and he's, he's saying this because he's annoyed. The colonel wants to go over all the church finances because one of the women in the church thinks that someone's stealing money. And the vicar is like, this is not happening. Why do we have to do this? But the colonel's like, nope, it's important. And so he's going to be coming over the following evening to talk about that. And he just is annoyed that no one likes the colonel. He's kind of like self-righteous and thinks he's the most important person. So the other thing that we find out is that Griselda is 20 years younger than the vicar. Um, but they're really, they're really cute together. They have like a lot of cute moments. Okay. What was the, what was the vicar's son's name again? Uh, his nephew's name is Dennis. Oh, nephew. He, he's kind of he like related? a side story. Oh, okay. Sorry. Is he like... Is he related to Griselda or to the vicar? They don't say. I'm not sure. He's kind of like a side story, so I didn't really like talk to talk about him too much. He's not. He won't really factor into things. But he's around. Okay. Um. So the vicar is just settling down in his son's study to write a sermon. Actually, maybe they weren't eating dinner. They were eating lunch. So he's just about to write. Um. I don't know. Serve sermon for the evening, or maybe the next day. When this girl, Lettuce Prothro. That's right. Her name is Lettuce. <laughs> drifts in through the French window is how they put it. So she's like, her character is like, um, like not angsty teen, but kind of like above it all teen. Like, oh, I don't care about anything. But like secretly she does care. Right. She's also described as like forgetful and lethargic, but people kind of say that that's an act that she's putting on. Um, so she had come to see Griselda, but ends up talking to the vicar. Uh, and she had been, she kind of says like she had been told her mother was dead, but now she thinks that she's actually alive. She really hates her stepmother, Anne. Um, and she thinks that Anne hates her. Um, and her father won't let her be painted in her bathing suit by this guy named Lawrence Redding. And she's like, oh, that's such a bother. I can't be in my bathing suit and get painted. 
and be this being like 1930 it's kind of like yeah it makes sense (laughs) (laughs) Um, but so she is the daughter of Colonel Prothero we were talking about before and her stepmother is Anne Prothero so she leaves she was late for an appointment with um, an archaeologist so there's this guy Dr. Stone who's working as an archaeologist in town so she was just going to like see what he's doing he'll come up again and the vicar goes out to the drawing room where he meets four of his parishioners and his wife. So he was supposed to like have tea with these people. And they've been, they're like all the old spinsters in town. So one of them being Miss Marple. And then there's, there's three others. And they've been disgusting, not disgusting, discussing how unsuitable it is that Miss Cram is a secretary to the archaeologist, Dr. Stone. And it's unsuitable because Dr. Stone isn't married and so he shouldn't have a young woman secretary. Makes a lot of sense, right? Well, who knows what could be going on. (laughs) So the next thing I talk about is Miss Marple kind of alludes to the fact that Dr. Stone and Colonel Prothero had had like a serious quarrel the other day, which is like big gossip, so everyone's excited. And they end up discussing Redding and the painting. So Redding, I think he's he is a painter. So he's painting Lettuce Prothero. He was also painting Griselda, the vicar's wife. And he might have been painting with some other people, but that doesn't come up. So they kind of discuss that scandal. And um, they've also discussed that Dr. Haydock had been seen leaving Mrs. Lestrange's cottage. Um, so they're like, ooh, do they know each other? Like, is this just business or like, is it more? And Mrs. Lestrange is like this new woman who's moved to town. So no one, no one knows who she is. She kind of like doesn't get out. No one's really talked to her. No one's seen her. She's like this. Her name's Mrs. Lestrange and it's all very strange. That's I wonder if that was like. Name. It's like, I always thought that yeah. Lestrange was a French name. Yeah. And like in Harry so, Potter, there's like the Lestranges. And I always thought it was okay. like the one. I always kind of thought that like Malfoy's mom and Bellatrix Lestrange were French and she it married another French guy whose name was Lestrange. I have no idea. There you go. She's she's there. She's she's living by herself. But now I'm finding so out the, it could be a British name. It could be. <laughs> <laughs> so the vicar delivers his Wednesday night sermon. I think like Church is a much bigger deal. So like these sermons happen like possibly nightly, maybe every other night. I don't know. But afterwards he sees a woman admiring the stained glass in the church and it ends up being Mrs. Lestrange. So he's like, oh, kind of cool. So he walks her home and she invites him in because like um, he's, he's like a pretty nice guy. He's also the vicar. So he's super like not imposing. Um, and he describes her as a woman of the world as well. She's like well-bred which is kind of an interesting description, but she he's kind of getting to the point of like, why is she in St. Mary Mead? Like she doesn't need to be here. She's like capable of living somewhere else. Um, And he feels as they are talking that there's something, there's a deeper reason that she wants to just something that she wants to discuss with him, but she holds back and she doesn't end up telling him anything. So he leaves. So the vicar walks home. He goes into the, his, he has like a, on the vicar vicarage property is a, it's a shed that they've turned into a studio for Redding to do his paintings in. Um, and he goes in to check on um, Redding had been painting his wife in that studio. So he goes in to like, see how the painting of Griselda is going. And there are two people in there embraced and kissing. And who do you think it is? I'll tell you, Lawrence Redding and Miss Prothero, Mrs. Prothero. So Colonel Prothero's wife and this Lawrence Redding dude. Mm. So there had been this talk of him like, 
being interested in the daughter led us Prothero, but actually now we find out it's life. So um, they kind of like burst apart and the vicar like immediately leaves and it's like, oh, shouldn't have seen that. So he goes back to his house and shortly after Anne Prothero knocks on the window of the study, the French window, and she comes in and kind of tells him like she's in love with Lawrence. She's really unhappy in her marriage, marriage and she like says she wishes the colonel were dead. So that again, kind of like that topic coming up. And that basically the vicar tells her, like, you just, you have to move on. Like, I, I can't give you any other advice than that. Like, you you have to stop seeing him. Like, you, you just have to do the right thing. Which is what, like, he knows what he's supposed to say. The vicar also forgets that that evening they had invited Lawrence over for dinner. Um, which ends up playing off pretty well. Lawrence is a really good actor. So he, like, pretends that nothing has happened. And, like, the wife and nephew don't suspect anything. So after dinner... The vicar and Lawrence go into his study and the vicar basically tells him off. He kind of is saying like, um, he's able to talk to him more directly because he's a man apparently. And Lawrence kind of says he doesn't understand. And the vicar tells him that he, Lawrence is telling the vicar, you don't understand. And the vicar is like, yeah, that's what everyone says, but I won't tell anyone. Like, I'll keep this secret. Um, But he kind of tells Lawrence like, all the spinsters in this town, they know everything. They're going to find out. So you should, like, you you should, you need to go away. You shouldn't stay in St. Mary Mead anymore. Like, this is bad for Anne, is basically what he says. So then at that moment, Griselda and Dennis barge in, kind of explaining how they're, they're they would like the thrill of, like, a burglary or a murder in the town. I think, like, it's stuff's boring. Basically. Wow. <laughs> I know. You live in a small town for the boringness of it all. Move to the big city if you want some more intrigue. I know. (laughs) So um, at this point, Lawrence is like quickly able to like turn on the personality and goes like, um, is able to joke with them and say um, that they could hold up Colonel Prothero at Old Hall. So the big house in town is called Old Hall and that's where the colonel lives with his wife and daughter. So they say they could like hold up the Colonel at old hall. And Lawrence like chimes in that he has a gun. It's a Mauser pistol 0.25. And so like, they, that's how they could hold him up. Cause he'd be like overpowering or something. Like it's just crazy. Wait. So Lawrence has a gun and he's saying, let's go rob. They're him. joking. They're, they're all joking. He's just kind of like playing into the joke. Right. Like no, no one, everyone's in on the joke. It, it seems pretty clear. Who was it who has the gun? Lawrence has the gun. Okay. The Lawrence Redding is his full name. So Lawrence also mentions in this conversation that Dr. Stone, the archaeologist, seems very absent-minded. And he kind of feels like he kind of feels like he doesn't know too much about his subject, like archaeology. Like sometimes he's like very forgetful. Um, and Griselda hears gossip that Mrs. Lestrange left her house and hasn't returned, and the women in town are wondering where she went. So this is, I don't know, someone, like, one of the old spinsters saw her leave her house and started calling around to everyone, telling them. Like, it's that kind of small town. Right. So the next day, Lawrence comes by to the vicarage, and he says, he's thought over what the vicar says, and he thinks it's right, and he agrees with the vicar. He, he really has to leave town if he's gonna um, like it's best for Anne. So he's going to say goodbye to her that evening. They're going to meet up and then he's going to start packing the following morning. So at 5 30 PM, the vicar has been working on like, I think another sermon and he gets a call at, 
at 5.30 p.m., someone's dying, and it's his duty, if someone's dying, to, like, come be by their bedside as they, like, pass away. Right. So he gets a call Final from the wife, and he... Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he gets a call, and he leaves to go do that. But before he leaves, he had he was supposed to, as I had said before, he's supposed to meet up with Colonel Prothrow to discuss the church finances, and that was set for 6.15, and he knows he it's two miles away. He doesn't ride a bike because he's not very good at it, is what he says. And he knows he won't be back in time. So he calls Old Hall to tell the colonel, like, can we push it to 6.30? But sadly, they the colonel had already left. He had been go- was going to go into town first. And then after he'd done some stuff in town, come to the vicarage. So he's already left. So he leaves a note at home with his maid to tell Colonel Prothrow that he thinks he'll be closer to 6.30 is what he's aiming for. So the vicar actually arrives home closer to 7 than 6.30. He doesn't give a specific time, but maybe like 6.45. So when he gets in, Mary tells him, oh, as he's coming into the house, coming out of the gate is a white looking Mr. Redding. And he looks like crazed. He's looking crazy. And he kind of says like, um, he, I don't know, maybe the vicar says, I'm just going to see Colonel Prothrow. And Redding goes like, oh, (laughs) you'll see him all right. And then like runs away. And it's, really kind of creepy. Um, so when Mary, when he gets inside, Mary, the maid tells him that Mr. Prothero has been in the study since 615, um, like arranged and that Mr. Redding had only come by like a few minutes. He'd only been there a few minutes, but he was also waiting in the study and the vicar's like, no, he's not just, I saw him outside. He must've left without telling you. So he goes into the study and what does he find? Gabrielle? The colonel is dead. The colonel's dead. Mr. Prothero is dead. So he's been shot through the head. So it's pretty clear he's dead. So he immediately sends Mary, the maid, to go get Dr. Haydock, who lives basically across the street. It's a small town. So she runs to get him. And the victor explains to the doctor when he gets there that his call to the dying man that he had gone to see had been a ruse. When he got there, the wife was like, nah, I didn't call you. This guy's fine. So they call the police. And the police arrive. Guy's name is Constable Hurst. Um, The doctor explains that he was probably shot with a pistol, possibly a Mauser .25, which we've heard before, and he had been dead um, just over half an hour. So if this is around 7, like, or 10 to 7, they're putting, he's thinking the death is around like 6.20 to 6.30, maybe 6.35. So then Inspector Slack arrives, and immediately we're like, ah, he's a jerk. No one likes him. So he finds the clock is overturned at um, stopped at 6.22. And there's a note underneath Prothero. He had been sitting at the writing desk in the study. And it was dated 6.20. Who puts a time on, on, a, on a letter you're writing? I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> but it says that's what it is. They're like able to fix the death. And it kind of fits in a little bit with what the doctor's saying. And the vicar's trying to like tell him something, but Slack keeps like being a jerk and like being like, not now, I'll ask for what I'll ask for you when I want to tell you something. So then they kind of shot the the police officer shut off the study. Vicar goes like into the rest of his house and Griselda arrives home. Um, She had been, she had come home on the 650 train. She'd been into London that day to do some shopping. And um, when she hears everything the vicar says, she says, well, that doesn't make sense. Didn't you tell him that the clock runs 15 minutes fast? The vicar kept his clock 15 minutes fast because he was always late to things. So he purposefully ran it 15 minutes fast. So they're saying those times don't match up. The, if, if the clock stopped at 622, then that actually meant it was 605 or 607, which like the, co- the colonel wasn't even there yet. So that's weird. Something is up there. 
So Griselda goes off to see if she can be any comfort to Anne Prothero, because obviously this is going to be a shock. And when she returns, she said that Anne had seemed, she had seemed more terrified than she had seemed sad, which they found weird. So they go to bed. The next morning, Mary informs the household that Lawrence Redding, so Mary had found this out from like other servants in other households, that Lawrence Redding had turned himself in and been arrested for the murder, which is like, whoa, what is happening? <laughs> Who does that? Especially in an Agatha Christie novel. <laughs> so Miss Marple is... Suddenly, Miss Marple is just at the window. <laughs> Love her. <laughs> um, and she is convinced already she knows who did it. And then when they tell her of the arrest of Lawrence Redding, because she hadn't heard about it yet, she's super surprised, which is weird, because they're like, how have, how has Miss Marple not heard of something already? But then when she hears he confessed, she's like, that's a lie. And they're like, what do you mean? She's like, well, it's obvious it's a lie. And then basically leaves. <laughs> so again, weird. Lettuce shows up saying she left her yellow beret, her hat in the study and can she go get it? And the vicar's like, no, your dad just got shot in there. It's locked up. No, you can't. And she's kind of like, oh, what a bother. Can we get in through the window? And he's like, nah, that's locked too, girl. Except, you know, more formal than me. <laughs> So next we have a new colonel, Colonel Melchett, who is also part of the police. I think he's like, he's like the head constable or something. So he's in charge of everything. Um, he pays a visit to the vicar and together they go to see Dr. Haydock. And Haydock has recovered the bullet from the body. Um, and he says it's a 0.25, like he was right before. So they're like, okay, this ties in. That's like, that's the same as Lawrence, what Lawrence Redding said his gun was. Did they have ballistics back then? I have no idea. I ass I assume yes, to some degree, because Agatha Christie did a lot of research and like talked to people about her murders because she wanted them to be like super accurate scientifically, right? Especially with like poisons, like she would make sure that like the poisons she was using like actually were the right doses of what would kill you and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I assume I assume whatever she talks about is probably true, but I didn't I didn't do any research, so I don't know. That's fair. I'm just curious. <laughs> So they discuss how how Redding would have shot Prothero, and the vicar says it would have been um, a really short quarrel because Mary had said that he just arrived like two minutes ago or three minutes ago, and Haydock realizes at this moment that Redding couldn't have done it because the body still would have been warm if he had shot him at six. Like this would have been around six forty-five, six fifty, that the vicar saw Lawrence Redding leaving, and he's like, "That's impossible. Like it's that the science doesn't match up. Like the body hundred percent would have been warm, so it couldn't have. He couldn't have shot him in that time. So that's like, oh, okay, we're get continuing to get more confused. What's going on? So they immediately go to see Redding in the place holding and he's a mess and everyone gets the sense that he's lying about everything because he's like hesitating before he answers questions he's like really sticking to his story even though they're telling him that it doesn't add up and like he'll they'll be like where did you shoot him and he'll be like uh in the head question mark and they'll go like yeah but where and he like it's very weird and the vicar vicar who's with them at the police station gets a note from Anne prothero that she needs to see him right away and he can bring whoever he wants with her. So they are all like, okay, fine. So they leave Reading and they immediately go to Old Hall to see Anne. And she confesses to the murder. And so now mm, you're like, I was just gonna what say, is going on? When's that? <laughs> yeah. So she confesses to the murder. She says she has got she got the gun from her husband's drawers in his study and had planned, she originally planned to shoot herself. But then when she had seen the colonel, she shot him instead. 
And so as the vicar's leaving Old Hall, no one's really buying that story either. So as they're leaving Old Hall, he questions the valet and asks him, did the colonel keep a gun? And the valet's like, no, I've been working here for so many years. The colonel does not have own a gun. He doesn't own a pistol. So they're like, oh, okay. So this isn't going to add up. So now they go to see Miss Marple because Miss Marple's house, there there was a path that led from Old Hall to the vicarage and the and, and, and Miss Marple's house. Like they were kind of across the street from each other. So Miss Marple would have seen a lot of things. And she says that around 6.15, she had spoke with Mrs. Prothero, who was walking by and had said that she, uh, Anne said that she was going into the vicarage to get her husband to see if he wanted to walk home with her because she was done in the village. Miss Marple saw her kind of like walk towards the house. She was there for like not very long and then immediately goes into the studio. Um, and then she saw Redding come and join Anne in the studio. So they left the studio about 10 minutes later and are joined by Dr. Stone and Miss Cram. And they walk towards the village, all four of them walk towards the village together. And this was around, um, she says it like at 6.30, this is when they were walking. She's abstinent that Anne did not have a gun on her. So she's like, no, Anne wasn't carrying a handbag. And you can, she was like, with what women wear these days, like you can tell if they're hiding anything on their body. She did not have a gun on her. I would have, I definitely would have seen it. And so the vicar's like, Miss Marple's a really sharp lady. I believe her, but the police kind of don't really believe her. I mean, which she thinks she could be forgetful. Like, yeah. So kind of we'll see. And then she also says that she might have heard a shot but she says she heard it in the woods. It wasn't coming from the house. And um, it would have been around, she thinks, like 620 to 630. But she couldn't place the time exactly. And then she also tells the vicar that she can think of seven people who wanted Prothero dead. And the vicar's like, who? And she's like, no, no. I'm not telling you anything. <laughs> so Miss Marple, Miss Marple's on to someone. But who? So when the vicar gets back home, he asks Mary about the shot. Did she hear? Because she was in the house when the colonel was killed so she should have heard something and she's like no nah, there was no shot in the house i heard nothing and he's like mm, you, i feel like you should have heard something she's like well i didn't and so then he asks he tries a different approach she's like did you hear a shot in the woods and she's like oh yeah i heard i heard the shot in the woods um it was about 10 to 15 minutes before redding arrived so maybe um if he arrived around 6 45 or maybe thinking like 6 30 so then colonel melchett and slack come back to the study so Inspector Slock has checked up on everyone's movements in the town, like whoever they think could be like possible. And everyone is, is as they say they are. Like Redding, um, Colonel Prothero and Anne Prothero had come into town. Both of them had gone to the same stores that they said they were going to. He had checked up with like the attendants. And like Dr. Stone had been like they Dr. Stone and... I think Redding had both gone to like the Blue Boar, which is the only hotel in town, to have like a drink together around 6.35-ish. Like, so they, they were together. So that's like checked up on. So I think they leave and then the vicar comes out of the study and sees that Miss Marple has stopped by to chat with Griselda. She is the one that suggests that the, the letter that um, Colonel Prothero was writing wasn't originally dated. So the vicar kind of reflects back on the letter and what it looked like. And he realizes that the 620 at the top of the page was in a different, he thinks it was in a different handwriting and a different color of pen. So what you were saying about like, do people date letters? It's like, I don't know, but this one sure wasn't. Mm. It was dated after the fact, it looks like, although they're not sure. So Griselda says someone must really hate Anne because all of the evidence is trying to be fixed on the time where Anne would have like gone around to see her husband in the study. So she's 
she's kind of saying someone's trying to incriminate her. And if it wasn't for Miss Marple kind of being abstinent that she didn't have a gun on her, then it would look really bleak for Anne. So they bring both Lawrence and Anne to the study and to question both of them. And they get both of them to confess that they're lying to save the other person. So like Anne was lying to save Lawrence and Lawrence was lying to save Anne because they both thought the other had done it. Um, but neither of them seemed to have. So he's, Lawrence says that when he arrived on the day he had found the body and seen that the gun was his because the, the gun had been beside the body. So when he arrived like that a couple of minutes before the vicar, he had seen that the gun was his and thought Anne must have taken the gun. And so he picks up the gun, puts it in his pocket and like basically runs away and runs into the vicar. He tells them that the gun normally sat on a shelf in his cottage. His door to his cottage was always unlocked. So he's basically like anyone could have taken that gun, which is, you know, small town life. <laughs> then Anne confirms that from her vantage point, she would not have seen Prothero at the writing desk. So she kind of shows what she did when she came to look into the study window. And they have the vicar sit at the writing desk and she confirms she couldn't, like she didn't know where the vicar was standing when she looked in the window. So it kind of confirms that if the colonel had already been dead or had been sitting, up, even if he had just been like writing something at the writing desk, um, she wouldn't have seen him. So then they go to talk to this woman named Mrs. Price Ridley. She lives opposite the vicar. So they kind of go to see if she heard anything. And she did hear the shot. They actually find her at the police station because she's giving a complaint. She says that someone anonymously called her basically in this like weird, creepy voice telling her to mind her own business and stop being like a busybody and that kind of thing. Cause she's one of these spinsters that like likes to gossip. And so she was really upset about this that someone could anonymously call her like that and tell her that. And she remembers that she'd heard a shot in the wood at 6.30 because it had been right after this phone call. So she got the phone call right after she heard the gunshot? I think right before. But it was something to the effect where she was able to pinpoint the gunshot in the woods at around 6.30. I don't think it's too important if it was before or after, though. Just, just to say that that's what the time was. So they're pretty, they're pretty sure that her time is accurate, especially because of this phone call that she was so upset about. Um, so at some point right. after this, the vicar gets a note. Oh, they, I guess they tell, they tell this Miss Pri Mrs. Price Ridley that they're going to look into the phone call. But at the same time, they're kind of like, eh, it's, it's just, this is someone just like practical joke, but they say they'll look into it. So then the vicar gets a note from Mrs. Lestrange asking him to come see her. If she has something like important she wants to tell him. So she's not disappeared. No, she, I, it was weird. It was like, she just left the house in the evening. Like she honestly could have just gone for a walk. But, you know, people can't mind their own business. They really cared that she had left that day. It was just weird. Um, yeah, she's, she came back eventually. She just, like, honestly, Gabrielle, she might have just been gone for an hour. But, like, she was gone for 15 minutes as they all called around town. <laughs> so he goes to see her. Before he does, actually, Hawes, who I think is maybe, like, a church caretaker or also gives sermons. I can't really tell. He's, he's just a part of the church somehow. He comes to visit and he seems super nervous. Like they're kind of describing him as like pale and like maybe like clammy and like looks really sick. And so that's what the vicar is telling him is like, go lie down. Like you're sick. You should not be up and moving around. And he kind of is telling the vicar, you need to tell the police about Archer. Archer did it. Like Archer. And so we find out, we know who Archer is. He was a poacher who had been poaching on Prothrow's property and Colonel Prother had, like, I think, um, threatened to sentence him and might have been going through with it. And so he's like, I think um, Archer had, like, threatened Prothero as well. So 
the this guy Hawes is like you need well you have to tell the police this is such a big deal and the vicar's like no it's not if it's such a big deal you tell them like why do I have to I don't think it's a big deal and so then he leaves that was it was just like weird interaction so the vicar arrives at Mrs. Lestrange's house and she is about to tell him what he thinks she was going to tell him before or maybe like ask for advice when Inspector Slack shows up. She refuses. They've they found out that Mrs. Lestrange had gone to visit Colonel Prothro the night before his death. And um, she had like gone into the house um, while they were eating dinner and then had only spoken to the colonel, not to Mrs. Prothro or the daughter. And she refuses to tell Inspector Slack what their meeting was about. She's like, that's personal. Doesn't have anything to do with the murder. And I'm not telling you. And I think he kind of like tries to ask her other questions, like where she came from or like things like that. And she's like, no, I don't need to tell you anything. And I'm not going to. That was, I don't know. I thought it was kind of badass for her. Mm -hmm. Um, Then once the inspector leaves, she kind of tells, she tells the vicar, well, I wanted to ask you for advice, but I think now my mind is made up, so I don't need help anymore. And, he, and the vicar leaves, which he's kind of disappointed about because he wanted to find out what was going on. <laughs> so next, the vicar goes to Old Hall to make funeral arrangements with Anne. And on his way home, he decides to follow a hunch on the footpath. So there's this this footpath that goes through the woods that kind of connects directly from Old Hall to the vicarage. So while he's walking on this footpath, he's kind of looking along the trail in the woods where branches have been broken, like where it looks like it's been disturbed and someone's gone into the woods. And he finds a place and kind of like starts to like push his way through and he gets into the woods and who does he see? But Redding is standing there holding this giant rock. And he tells him, oh, I was just looking. I really want to speak to Miss Marple. And I thought I'd bring him a pe- her a peace offering of this rock to go with her rock garden. Seems like an appropriate gift, in my opinion. You think so? Okay. <laughs> so they bring the rock to Miss Marple and she suggests to Redding that uh, they talk about kind of some meaningless things. And then she suggests to Redding that he tries to get info out of the maids at Old Hall about why Mrs. Lestrange was there. She's like, the the, the maids aren't going to tell the police anything. All, all this, like, you know, the servant class is terrified of the police. They won't say anything. But to you, a handsome man, they'll talk to you, no problem. He, he goes to try that. Um, and they also, I think they both, both go back together to keep trying to see if that path, they're both thinking that did someone climb over the wall to get into the vicarage to possibly shoot Colonel Prothero? So they go back into the woods and try that again. And who do they find? Inspector Slack, who's trying to do the same thing. And he declares that no one came over the vicarage wall. It's not disturbed enough. You couldn't do it. It didn't happen. So that's that. So the next day, Inspector Slack comes around again. Um, and says that the phone call that was made to the vicar to get him out of the way was deliberate and it had originated from the North Lodge at Old Hall. So at Old Hall is this huge property and the road that kind of goes in and out of the property on either end is a lodge, the North Lodge and the South Lodge that would have, I think, originally housed like maybe gardeners or something. I don't know if there's anyone living there right now, but there is a phone still in that building and that's where the call is made from. So there's just some theories there about like, is this is this to set up Lawrence Redding even more because he he that's the way he came when he visited Anne Prothero? There's some theories like that, and then they also find out that the call that was made to Mrs. Price Ridley, the like um, prank call, was made put through from Lawrence Redding's cottage. But I think it was put through at a time where he couldn't have been in his cottage, so someone like snuck into his house. So that was like a what's going on there. Um, and then Slack kind of tells the vicar that he thinks that it's Lestrange. She th- he thinks that she had been blackmailing 
Prothero, which you'd think like, why would you want to kill the person you're blackmailing? But he was like, he thinks that um, the colonel was like, you know what? You can't black blackmail me. I'm going to charge you. Like, I'm going to, I'm not, I'm taking, calling your bluff. I'm going to go to the police. And Mrs. Lestrange couldn't handle that. So she killed him before he could do that. So next the vicar, the slack leaves and Mrs. Marple calls for the vicar. She asks if they'll come over and talk to her. And she says that the night before, like she hadn't been able to sleep. So kind of was just like sitting up and she had seen Gladys Cram go into the woods with a suitcase, like through that like um, trail that goes to Old Hall past the vicarage. She had gone into the woods and really shortly afterwards had come out without the suitcase. So she's kind of like, seems suspicious. Wonder what's going on here. Well, sounds like she's trying to hide something. Yes. <laughs> Ooh, maybe she's actually the archaeologist and Dr. Stone <laughs> is not an archaeologist, but it's all just like women can't be archaeologists, so they have to be secretive about it and he's actually the secretary and that's why he seems all forgetful and not I knowledgeable like about the subject yeah. of archaeology. Well, we'll see. We'll see. So the inquest is held the next morning and there's not really any new info. The <gasps> only new thing Oh, yes. Dr. Stone is actually trying to find something out about Lestrange. Ooh, like he's he's not an archaeologist. He's like a yes. private investigator he's or something. something. I like that theory. He followed her there because they're both new. Mm. Okay. We'll come we'll come back to that. They're they are gonna come up again. <laughs> So the only new info at the inquest is that Mrs. Archer is the woman who kept house for Lawrence Redding, and she's Archer's mother, the poacher that they that the like that Colonel Prothero was prosecuting. So kept house for Lawrence Redding basically means like any bachelor somehow like couldn't cook or clean for themselves in that time, so they had to like hire a woman to do it for them. <laughs> so she kept what a quote unquote kept house for him, and she says at the inquest that the gun had been in the house before she had left at noon the day of the murder. Which the vicar is kind of like the day before she had been telling the police that she had no idea when it was there before. So he's like, "This is suspicious that suddenly you like know exactly when the gun was there." But whatever, that's what she says at the inquest. So after the inquest, the vicar is kind of talking with Dr. Stone and Mrs. Cram. And Dr. Stone says that he's leaving town. He's, like, going to visit his mother. Um, and he has, like, some business to take care of. And he'll be back after, like, he's just going away for the weekend. And so the vicar helps him bring his bags to the train station. And when they get there, they run into this man. And the man's, um, it turns out to be um, Mrs. Marple's nephew who is coming to visit. And he's, like, this kind of, not important, but, like, I don't know. They run into him and he's kind of upset. And he leaves. and then. The vicar ends up walking back. The Dr. Stone makes his train. And then the vicar ends up walking back to the vicarage with the chemist, who's complaining that the 650 train on the day of the murder had been 30 minutes late. And he was really upset about it. Oh, so then Lauren, I think he goes, maybe it goes by Miss Marples, because right, it's on his way back from the train station. And Lawrence comes by as well and says that he's able to, he was able to get out of the kitchen maid from Old Hall. Her name is Gladys. Um, and she, he was able to like get info out of her about, um, Mrs. Lestrange's visit that night, the night before the murder. And Gladys says that she heard phrases from Colonel Prothero of like, after all these years and you dare to come here. And, um, I utterly refuse. Okay, so utterly. she's the mom. She's the, she's his original wife. Possibly. Who the daughter is convinced is not yeah dead. so there's all these so he's kind of giving all these phrases and she doesn't hear anything that the, that the woman says except for 
by this time tomorrow night, you might be dead, which is like, oh my God. Okay. What's going on? So the vicar gets home um, and his maid is threatening to quit. It's this really weird reason that Lettuce Prothero, the daughter, had come by. She had been looking for her yellow beret. So she was in the study and Mary, the maid, had found her there. And she had told Mary that um, the vicar and his wife weren't satisfied with her cleaning because it was so bad. And as she did that, she like swiped her finger along the like um, mantle and like looked at the dust on her finger. And so Mary was pissed. She was so upset. Like she was like, that's she's she's being so rude yada 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 and because of this she was going to quit and the vicar the vicar doesn't like mary he thinks she does terrible work but his wife griselda really likes mary <laughs> so he's kind of like sent to convince mary to stay he basically does nothing he kind of just like hears her out and is like well we don't want you to leave like half-heartedly says we don't want you to leave and mary's like okay fine i'll stay <laughs> that's kind of cute Oh, and then the other thing that's kind of funny is they call sex appeal in the novel. They never say sex appeal. They just call it um, S-A, like the initials. You kind of, I, I don't know if that's slang in that like time period or if like she doesn't want to write like sex appeal in a novel. Like that was too. In, in what like context would you see that? They're talking in this context. They're just saying that um, Lettuce, the daughter, they're talking about her and they're kind of saying that she has sex appeal. And so that's why like boys like her. And then they also say that Lawrence Redding had sex appeal, but they just say it as essay and you kind of look at it and you're like, what are they talking about? And then it, it it's come up in books before and you're like, oh, sex appeal. <laughs> it's just, just funny. Odd. doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't relate to the crime at all. Like that's, that doesn't come up. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> Very curious. <laughs> so the vicar goes into his study to see if it will feel normal again, because he kind of has this feeling that he's not going to be able to work there because of the murder. So he goes into like, see if it feels normal. So he sits down at the writing desk, and on the floor, something catches his eye. It's a blue lapis lazuli earring set in a seat of pearls, and he thinks he knows where he last saw that earring. So that's going to come back up. Okay, so he finds an earring that he recognizes. Yes, on the floor beside the writing desk in his study. We're going to get to that pretty quickly, actually. It comes up again pretty quick. So Griselda and the vicar. I can't, I'm just saying the name Griselda. It just sounds so funny. It sounds like a name from Cats. Yes. Yeah. I know it's Grizabella in Cats. But no, it's close. But it sounds awful. Yeah. So they go to Miss Marple's for, she's invited them over for dinner to help her entertain her nephew because her nephew, like, and Griselda really get on well. They're able, they have a lot in, like, um, similar tastes so they can talk and she finds that her nephew gets bored so Raymond his name is Raymond West and he says oh yeah I've met Mr. Stone before because they're talking about the archaeologist and he's like oh I'd love to go see him he's so interesting and the vicar's like oh well, you just missed him you actually bumped into him on the way to the like when you're coming off the train and Raymond goes that wasn't Mr. Stone dun, dun, dun. and so it's like oh who's Mr. Stone what's going on so they immediately, now that they've seen like Gladys Cram bring the suitcase into the woods and this, they immediately call Inspector Slack. And he kind of tells them, don't say anything. Don't tell Cram. Like, this doesn't leave the house because we're going to we're gonna get to the bottom of this. So the next day, Griselda and the vicar are called to Old Hall by Anne because she wants to, um, I think she, she kind of tells them, don't tell anyone while you're coming. I, like, I just want to tell you this. So they go and she shows them this portrait in the attic. She had 
the last night while she was sleeping, she had heard something in the attic. Like she it felt like she heard noises. And so the next day she had gone up to check and there's this portrait and one of the faces is slashed to pieces and they're like fresh slashes. And they're like, what is going on? And they're kind of thinking who it could be. She's for the weekend since um, Mrs. Miss Cram, since Mr. Stone had gone away for the weekend and Miss Cram didn't have a lot of work to do. Um, Anne Prothero had asked her to come up to like be her secretary to help with like funeral funeral arrangements and send out letters and stuff. Um, so she has her working, but like Anne also had like a, the other, other idea of like, she wanted to get like a closer look at her and like see what she's up to. But she's like, could it be her? Is it possible that like she, now that she's in the house, they're not sure. Could it be lettuce? Could it be one of the servants? Was someone, did someone break in? Not sure. So then the vicar asks Anne if it's her earring and Anne goes, oh yes, it is. And the vicar's like, oh, okay. Can I just keep it for a little bit longer? And Anne's like, sure. So he, he, now what he needs, he needs to catch lettuce alone. And which he does, he gets, he, um, his wife and Anne leave and he's able to talk to Lettuce and he asks her, why did you drop the earring in my study? And it's like, oh my God, Vicar, you're so smart. So she had, when she had said she was looking for the yellow beret, she actually dropped that earring to try and frame Anne. Mm-hmm. And the Vicar knows this because um, the murder was on Thursday and he had seen Anne wearing the earrings on Friday. So it was like clearly a setup. And so finally, Lettuce kind of admits to it. And just basically, she's just this young girl who hates her stepmom is kind of what you get out of that. I'm getting I'm getting like major Legally Blonde vibes where <laughs> yes, the daughter yeah, kills that's the dad by accident when trying yeah. to kill the stepmom. Yeah, that I feel like sums it up. <laughs> so the vicar sees that the police are looking around the barrow. So the... The Dr. Stone, he had been called into the town because there was this barrow in on um, Prothero's land. And so he'd been hired to like do a dig on the barrow. I don't really know what that means. I didn't actually look into it, but there you are. So they're looking around to see is the suitcase at the barrow where they've been working. He, the vicar kind of has a feeling that the suitcase might be in the woods because by Miss Marple's description, she wouldn't have had time to make it all the way to the barrow and back. So he thinks it might be quicker. So he goes on a suspicion to like go into the woods where the same place they went in before with um, Redding the other day where he found that stone to see if he could find anything. And he's right. He finds, he goes into like that woods, follows like the trail of broken branches and finds not only the suitcase, but there's this little brown crystal in the clearing as well. Um, so he puts it in his pocket and brings it back. Um, and he brings it to, I think, Miss Marple, because she had just been outside, so she had seen him. And they call Inspector Slack, because the suitcase is locked, and also, like, you know, the, the police should deal with it. So he cracks open the suitcase and finds a bunch of shabby clothes, like a whole change of clothes, and silver objects that Miss Marple identifies as being, like, silver platter, etc., from Colonel Prothrow's house. Mm-hmm. Da, da, da. Yeah, so you're like, okay, what's going on? And she also knows that Prothero had been talking of having his collections valued, like having someone come in from London to say how much everything is worth. So they're like, oh, that's like, that is probably, that could have been a murder motive. It's like, if Stone knew that he was coming to get them value, he wouldn't want that to happen if he'd already stolen them and replaced them with fakes or something. Right. So we kind of leave that hanging. That is like, that's, so that's what the suitcase was. And it's like, ah, crazy. So when the vicar gets home, he finds Hawes, the like church guy, is like pacing around his study and he's again acting super nervous. It's he's like really shaky, so he like he takes a pill that Dr. Haydock had prescribed him for headaches and 
he's he's like continuing on that like have you told him about Archer and the vicar's like it's not Archer um and the, the also says that he'll um the vicar takes his sermon the the Hawes guy was supposed to give a sermon that day and he's like go home and sleep I'll do the Wednesday night sermon like please this is ridiculous he also when he gets home um has four notes on the table front for him that are all addressed with urgent written on them like handwritten urgent um, and three of them are from spinsters around town and all of the letters in different wording say they have quote unquote heard something and feel it is urgent that he should know and help them and they don't want to go to the police so that's kind of funny because they all say the same thing and then he's he's kind of thinking are these did all three of them hear the same thing <laughs> and then the fourth is an anonymous letter claiming that Griselda had been seen leaving Redding's cottage. So that's like, okay, what's going on? And it kind of says like, if you know what I mean, there's something going on between them. So he shows, he was going to burn the note, but Griselda is able to like pick it up before he does and reads it. And then she lets him burn it. And she says she has something to confess to him that before they had been married, like before they'd even known each other, she knew Lawrence Redding and had like had a really big crush on him, like had really fancied him. Did she always live in this town? How did she know this? Does this, this painter doesn't, doesn't seem like he's always lived in this town. Yeah, it doesn't, right? So that doesn't actually come up. I'm not totally sure how they knew each other. Let's say it was another town over because I also don't think they've lived here forever. But it's not, it's never discussed and it won't be discussed. It's not going to come up again. But there you go. Hmm. So Miss Cram is taken into the police station for questioning. She denies everything and then's like, if you're not going to arrest me, I'm leaving. So she leaves. They also find that Archer has an alibi um, for the the time of death. For the time of death, he was with his pals all afternoon, and they all vouch for him. So that's the the vicar was at the police station, and then from the police station, he goes to visit all the spinsters that had left him notes because he's like, I kind of have to see them, even though I feel like this isn't a big deal. So first, Miss Hartnell, Miss Hartnell had been t- she had knocked on Mrs. Lestrange's Mrs. Lestrange. During the time of the murder, like around, uh, Miss Hartnell had gone gone to knock on her door at 6 p.m. the day of the murder, and no one had answered. And Mrs. Lestrange had told the inspector that it she just didn't she had been there, she'd heard the knocks, and just didn't want to answer. But Miss Hartnell tells the vicar that when no one had answered the door, she had gone and looked into all the windows because she was being nosy. <laughs> Um, she doesn't say it like that. She's like, I had to, of course I did. I need to check up on her. But in you know, we're all. We all know that really she just wanted to see what was up and says that Miss Mrs. Lestrange wasn't there. So she's lying. So that's the first fact. The second one is he goes to visit Miss Weatherby and she says that she heard Mrs. Lestrange had turned onto the Vicarage Road shortly after 6 p.m. on the day of the murder and had kind of looked around to see if anyone was about before she had turned onto the road. So that's the second thing. And the third one is Mrs. Price Ridley who lives across from the Vicarage and she says that her maid Clara, this is a weird one, her maid Clara had left the house at around 6.20 and on the day of the murder again and had heard a manly sneeze. And she thinks that it could have been a man hiding in the bushes. And the vicar is kind of like, okay, whatever, whatever a manly sneeze means. But so that's that. So he leaves. He kind of like, he wanted to make these visits as quick as possible. So he leaves and he goes to see Dr. Haydock to ask him, ask him some questions. And first, like, he kind of tells Haydock all of this stuff. Because he's like, apparently Haydock and Lestrange have been, are like, they seem to be good friends. What's going on? And Lestrange admits, I'm sorry, Haydock admits that Mrs. Lestrange had come over to see him on the evening of the murder at 6 p.m. 
he confirms that they were old friends and he also says that mrs lestrange is dying she's very ill and he gives her like a month to live mm-hmm. um and he also is like she didn't like she didn't kill this person she she didn't kill prothero but it's kind of like his word against everything and then he also says that the crystal that the um, vicar had found in the woods is picric acid and it's used as an explosive and then its medical use is a like for a solution for burns hmm. picric yeah. acid yep so the vicar gives his sermon that night wednesday evening it's one that he's taken over from hawes and it's super unusual in the fact that like he's super animated which he normally isn't he even like like says himself like normally he's really dull and boring but for some reason tonight he was super animated and he just continues to call on sinners to repent and is being like very crazy about it so miss marple and oh and for some reason the entire town is there which is like that's not normal no one ever shows up to my sermons especially on a wednesday night but the whole town is there he thinks it's because everyone wants to talk about the murder um afterwards um miss marple comes to visit and she kind of, she just wants to discuss the murder. She needs someone to talk to about it. And she says that the note is all wrong. And it it's kind of like ruining all her theories, the note. And she's saying that it doesn't fit in. It's very weird. What's wrong with the note? Um, and he, she, kind of why she's saying this is we now know that he's he was probably killed. Well, we're not really sure when he was killed, like 620 to 630. Um, but why was he sitting at the writing desk at 620? Because he had arrived at 615. The note was saying, um, I don't know if I ever told you what the note said. This That would be important, wouldn't it? No, yeah. <laughs> Oops. The note said um, that he, it was under his body when they found him dead, said, um, sorry, Vicar, I'm not going to be able to wait any longer. I'm going to, and then like trailed off. So she's saying the note's all wrong. She's saying, why at six, he arrived at 615. He, like, why at 620 did he already, like, if, why would he be sitting at the writing desk at 620? Because Anne hadn't seen him, right? So he had to have been sitting at the writing desk. Why was he sitting there at 620 and writing that note? When, like, he shouldn't have, he wouldn't have left until maybe 630. Like, he was informed, the maid would have informed him that you weren't going to be there till 630. So if he knew that, like, why at 620 did he need to leave? So she's kind of just saying, what is going on? That's very weird. So Gabrielle, we're getting down to it. Okay. It seems at this point, Miss Marple kind of realizes something um, while she's in the room. And I, we kind of get the feeling that she's kind of solved the case. So we're like, okay, at this point, we should probably have all of the information we need to solve it. But I'll tell you, there's a couple more points. Miss um, Marple leaves, and then Melchick kind of almost immediately pays a visit to the vicar. And he says he has astounding news. So the vicar is like, give it to me. He says that none of the writing on the letter was Colonel Prothero's. So that Prothero did not write that letter. Okay. So Miss Marple was right, basically. Right. Um, the vicar then also gets a phone call, and it's a man voice saying that he wants to confess, and then the phone call gets cut off. And the vicar thinks that he recognizes the voice, so he kind of, like, runs out of the house to go see this person. So the vicar arrives. Do you want to guess who, who's where he's going? Um, Dr. Stone. No. I think Dr. Stone's still out of town. He goes to Haw's house, the other, like, church warden guy and he finds him in like a deep sleep in a chair beside him there's an open like his pillbox is open for his headaches and there's a note crumpled up on the floor beside him and the note basically says um the vicar's feeling really conflicted because he's like this guy's confessing to the murder like i almost feel bad for him and the note basically it it looks to be it's the note that it's the real note that Colonel, or sorry, not Colonel, Colonel Prothero is writing that says that he knows who is stealing the church funds. 
he's basically writing a note to the vicar saying, I know who was, was stealing the church funds and this is what I think we should do about it. So now they're like, oh, Hawes was the one who um, was stealing the church funds. And so he had killed Colonel Prothero to make that so no one could find out that's what happened and stole a note. And so at this point, um, Melchett arrives because um, the vicar has called him from Hawes' house to say, I found the I found the house. And so he arrives and realizes that um, Hawes has overdosed on the pills and so is dying. So they call the doctor right away. And they're kind of like, he's overdosed. We need to come here and help him. And Haydock is like, well, if you're just going to convict him of the murder and hang him, like, why should I save him? Why? What's the point of this? And Melchett is, he's, he wants to put him through due process. So he's like, no, save him. So they bring him to the hospital. And so this is all crazy happening. And then Miss Marple arrives. And you're like, how did Miss Marple get here? And it's because when... Melchett had tried to call the doctor he called the wrong number and so Miss Marple knew where they were and she this is where it gets crazy Gabrielle she says oh thank goodness he's gone to the hospital he'll be safe there and they're like what do you mean he'll be safe and she's like oh well he'll be safe from the murderer who tried to kill him what mm-hmm. madness okay give me your best shot what do you think happened okay <laughs> okay hmm just, just just, talk loud. Just talk out your... Or I can ask you questions if you want. Okay. So I have some suspicions about the daughter, yes. obviously. Okay. Yeah. Um, I guess we've acquitted Hawes. So he's, yes. he's no longer a suspect. Yeah, we're saying here. Hawes is out of it. Who um, do you think your suspects are? Like, what? who would you list off as, like, possible people that could have done it? Um. All right. So we have uh, suspicious Mr. Stone. Yep. Um, we've got the, the angry daughter. Yep. We've got the frustrated wife. Yep. Um, hmm. I mean, the, the wife's lover, of course. Yep, Lawrence Redding. But I think we've acquitted him as well. Although he was a really okay. good actor, so maybe not. Maybe maybe mm. he's still a suspect. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. And the secretary, who was acting really weird and hiding the suitcase with the silver. Super odd. Yes. Um, hmm. I don't know. The the inspector seems a little sus as well, but it <laughs> could just be me reading too much into it. No, it's tough, right? Because who knows what's happened? I definitely don't have bigger. seven suspects yet. I mean, Archer, yeah. I guess, is still a suspect, but I think yes. he's been acquitted as well. well the, so the so inspector Slack's opinion is that it's a strange blackmailing. But he also is kind of in the back of his head going, like, Archer has his um, alibi is his pals. His pals would totally lie for him. Oh, yeah. So is it, is it a real alibi? Yeah. My thoughts exactly. Mm-hmm. So so here's, here's my theory. Yes. I think right. Lestrange went to visit the, the colonel the night before. Yes. And she's telling him something. Maybe she's telling him that she's dying and he's like, like, I don't want to hear about this. We're done. Yeah. Yep. I don't want to talk to you anymore. And she's like, well, I don't want to start stuff, but like things are happening. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know the whole story, um, yeah. but I think the daughter maybe overhears something and, oh, yeah. and realizes, yeah, basically, I think it was the daughter. But oh. uh, man, 
the daughter's like, you won't let me see her. I'm to hell with you. Yeah, I don't know. No, this is seeming... It's tough, right? Like, you got to fit in all of the clues. Oh, you read more Agatha Christie's than I do. Okay. And I can never guess them. (laughs) Like, that's what's crazy. (laughs) I think I might have, like, ever guessed, like, one. But you'll get parts of it, right? Like, that's the thing, too, is so much is happening. Like, even if you can guess parts of what's happening. I know. Like, Dr. Stone, why is he so suspicious? What? Is he even Here, part of this mystery or is he a separate like side mystery yeah. that's happening? Yeah, yeah, because what else is happening? Like I-, I didn't even talk about Dennis, but there was some like side story, like love affairs going on with him too. Ugh, Dennis, the vicar's yeah. nephew. He's... Well, I won't get into him because that's it's too much. But what do you think? Let me ask some questions. What do you think about the Pickrick acid? What do you think? Do you think there's anything going on with that? Okay, explosion slash burn treatment. Yeah. Um, could also be used to treat whatever Lestrange is dying from. Mm, um, okay. Maybe it's used to clean silver. I don't know. Uh, okay. It might not have been dropped by the secretary. It might have been nope. dropped by Redding, who was also standing there looking for rocks, which, yep. in my opinion, is a non-suspicious thing to do, but... <laughs> Other people might not feel that way. Fair. Um, <laughs> it depends on your love of rock gardens, right? Well, exactly. Yeah. And like, was it a particularly interesting rock? You know, were, yeah. were there interesting porphyroclasts in it? Or All <laughs> all they tell us about the rock is that it was a very big rock. <laughs> right. Which could be no appealing for a rock garden. Um, but in my opinion. I don't know. What's more appealing is if it's a nice rock rather than a large okay. one. Okay. So we got that. What are some other things? What do you think about the note? Why Why do you think Hawes, like, because we're okay. saying if Hawes, if Hawes is acquitted, why does he have the note? Okay, Hawes has the, so, so this is going to be like one of those Agatha Christie type things where like multiple people came into the room and saw the colonel and like multiple things happened before the colonel died. You know, mm. like... There was a whole series of things that happened, and then the colonel was murdered, and then someone else came into the room and disturbed things. So I think either Hawes came in before the colonel died or after the colonel died and saw the note note. and said, oh, crap, I got to get rid of this because the colonel's dead. Nobody else knows I've been stealing funds if, uh, you know. And maybe so Haas can... was going to talk to the colonel because he knew uh, he was there and the vicar yeah. wasn't there. And he was, yeah. like, going to go and talk to him before the vicar got there to be like, hey, you can't tell the vicar that it was me. Maybe something like yeah, that. Yeah, that feels really possible. And maybe he saw the murderer leaving. Yeah. Maybe he saw something to do with the murder. And that's why he's not safe. I mean, that's why he's safer in the hospital. Yeah. So the um, the note... I, I didn't say this, but it kind of shows the note. The note kind of, like, trails off. So you kind of assume that he was shot while he was writing the note. So if Hawes took the note, it would have been after. Right. Okay. But that's possible. I so I think that's why Hawes has the note. But I don't think he wrote the second note. Okay. Yeah. Someone else did that. There's just a whole bunch of people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who do you think the other people are then? So you think they're... Okay. Well, definitely Redding um, came in. Redding yeah. came in and saw him dead. Do you think he did anything while he was there? Or kind of just saw him dead and... Well, he took the gun. Yeah, he, he took the gun. He just heard the crime scene. Um, he was probably feeling a little crazy because it's possible the colonel knew that his wife was cheating on him. Ah, uh, yeah. 
Um, so maybe he was, like, really nervous about that, and he knew the vicar yeah. knew that he was, like, sleeping with Anne, so, yeah, maybe, maybe that's why he was acting a little crazy when he saw the vicar later. Is, yeah, you have, like, these people that kind of have this, like, other knowledge that you don't want them to have. Yeah. I don't know if, if Mary is a suspect. I think, I think she's not a suspect. I, I feel she's pretty clear. She's not talked about enough, it feels like. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. What else? What were the other clues? The Um, silver objects that got stolen. The clothes. Why was there a change of clothes? Maybe somebody... So they do give Inspector Slack's guess is that the change of clothes were in the suitcase so that um, he thinks that um, Dr. Stone was going to go back for the jewelry, for for the certain... It wasn't jewelry, for the silver stuff and um, change into those clothes so that he could, like, sneak away unnoticed or, like... Someone might think he's a different person. Right. That's his theory, but they don't, that's not confirmed. Mm-hmm. When did Stone disappear? Um, the day of the inquest, which let's say was a day ago, two days ago. Mm. I don't actually know. I hard to keep track of the days. <laughs> Do you have any other theories for anything? Like, even if it's side stories? Um, hmm. Well, I still think that, like... Lestrange and the fake archaeologist are somehow connected. Yeah. Would you like to hear the solution? I I think I would, yes. Okay. So Miss Marple comes in. We'll we'll go back to where she was. So she says, oh, thank goodness he's going to be safe from Lawrence Redding. And then she sits them down and starts to tell them. Because Redding's a good actor. Yes. Exactly. So... What she says, so we'll start with what he did, is that Redding had seen that note, and he had replaced it with another one, and he had kept it on him, thinking in his head, this will be useful later. So when he kind of noticed, he knew what the he knew what the note was about, he knew it was about Hawes. And so he kind of figured that he could pin it on him. And so everyone kind of knew that Hawes is taking these pills. So at some point, all of what Miss Marple is saying is theory. So there are no, she has no facts here. She's just saying this is what she thinks happens. So she thinks that Redding switched the pills and switched them with some kind of poison. Like if you did an autopsy on him, he didn't take an overdose. He took something that wasn't supposed to be a pill. And it was also the reason he, when he calls to confess, he's not calling to confess about the murder. He's calling to confess about stealing the money. And the reason he was doing that is because the vicar that same evening has given this super powerful, like really animated speech about sinners must come forward, basically. Like sinners must confess. Okay, but if he was at home sick, why was he at the church? This is a terrible. So idea. he wasn't sick. He was just nervous because he knew he knew that the like that someone might know that he was stealing money. Right. Right? So he wasn't actually ever sick. And so he goes home and then feels like he's dying because he's taken this pill that is poisonous. So it feels like he's dying kind of is hallucinating maybe, has just heard this sermon and so calls the vicar to confess. And he's also, oh, he reaches into his pocket. They think that Lawrence Redding slipped the note into his pocket and is like, it's otherworldly. It's like Colonel Prothero's come back from the dead to like- Accuse him. To make him confess. Yeah. Yeah, so it's all crazy. So he calls, so they think that's what happened. And then going back from there, so here's how the murder happened. It was pretty ingenious. It's pretty cool. What Miss Marvel's kind of pointing out the things that's suspicious. She's like, why did Anne go to town to do shopping and didn't bring a purse with her? That's suspicious. The reason she did it is so that they would know she didn't have a gun on her. So what happened was Redding, maybe the night before, maybe earlier in the day, had left the gun in the study. Anne walks by, 
Perp knows that Miss Marple's gonna see her and that's good. She wants Miss Marple to see her without a gun so that she can vouch for her. Quickly goes by the study, knows that her husband is like known to be kind of death, death, not death, deaf. So kind of sneaks behind him, gets the gun, shoots in the head and leaves immediately. She puts a silencer on the gun and then leaves the gun, right? The gun and the silencer. Um, because she has no handbag and she can't hide it on her person. So that sneeze that um, the the maid from across the street had heard, the quote-unquote manly sneeze, was the gunshot with a silencer. So that was around 6.20. So she leaves, goes into the um, studio, Redding meets them. They both know that Miss Marple, and Miss Marple admits this, Miss Marple's not leaving until they leave the studio, which they count on. So they leave the studio together, don't go anywhere near the house, and immediately walk towards town. The gunshot that was heard in the woods, um, that everyone kind of is like adamant that was in the woods, it was. Lawrence Redding had set up this very large stone with some like timing mechanism. Miss Marple's like, I don't know, some fuse that you men are always playing around with <laughs> to drop on the picric acid and make an explosion that would sound like a gunshot. Mm. So when he's messing around in the woods, he's kind of upset that Redding has caught him. He wasn't going to bring that stone to Miss Marple. He's just trying to get rid of it. Right. Which is fine. And Miss Marple's kind of like, you wouldn't, that's, it's all wrong. The stone was all wrong. I would never want a big stone or something like that. <laughs> uh, see? <laughs> see, it's not about the stone size. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> quality. Size doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so he was trying to get rid of the stone and it just, it just so happened that the suitcase had also been placed there. So the shot goes off, he's already dead, and then Lawrence Redding is purposefully trying to make it back a few minutes before the vicar so that he can get into the office, get the gun out of there so there's no fingerprints on it, and write, like, change the note, which he does. Like, he only needs a few minutes to do it. Um, So he comes out and he plays his part. He's acting haggard and it's purposeful. He needs to confess because that will make him less suspicious. Like, it's this whole mind game thing, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So that was kind of, they needed him out of the way. And Miss Marple points out that... Um, but he didn't actually kill him anyways. It was the wife. It was the wife that killed him. Yeah, he had just set it up. So he had been the one. He had called um, the vicar from the North Lodge to get him out of the way. So it had been a fake phone call. And he had put on like a woman's voice to make to make it seem like it was the wife of the dying man calling. What else happens? Oh, when they, the part of the reason Miss Marples thought it was suspicious is when they left the studio, if the vicar was right, or, and if it was true that um, they were meeting for Lawrence to say goodbye to Anne Proffer when he was going to leave the next morning, they should have looked really upset when they left the studio. But they, like, had this, they looked fine. Like, there was nothing seemed off about them. And that was purposeful. They both, they both knew in their heads that they had to look fine because they couldn't look like they committed this murder. Right. But Miss Marple knew that they should have looked really upset. Because they should have been, had that been really what they were doing, they should have been really upset. So it's just this whole, like, back and forth of what's going on. So that's the main murder. And then what's going on on the side? You were right. Mrs. Lestrange is the mother. Ah, the actual mother. Ah. Yes, that was good. So she is the mother of lettuce. And um, she actually is dying. That's all true, too. And she had been, I think, basically had just gone to Colonel Prothero to ask his permission to see her daughter again. Like, that's all she was saying. And he was saying, no, you can't see her. So she just started seeing her in secret. She was like, well, you can't stop me. (laughs) I think that was, so that's why the picture was slashed in the attic. It was a picture of the previous Mrs. Prothero or Mrs. Lestrange. And Lettuce didn't want the police to like think anything was wrong with Mrs. Lestrange and find that portrait. So she had slashed it. Yeah, I'm sorry. If Mrs. Lestrange used to be this guy's wife and like obviously had to have lived in the village, did the other townspeople not go, 
oh, Mrs. Lestrange, that's the colonel's old wife. Like, it's... So Haydock, Haydock tells us, like the doctor afterwards, is that um, they hadn't, they had lived in another town and Colonel Prothero had moved after that previous marriage. Mm-hmm. And Haydock just happened to be the doctor in that town at the time as well. So that's how he had known her. I see. Yeah, but she also doesn't go out much, I think. So they're like, they couldn't track the resemblance and she had been meeting Lettuce in secret. Um, and so that... It was, there was a bunch of things about that, but it, was, it wasn't connected at all. It's just, so Haydock was right about that. It, it wasn't connected. Then Dr. Stone turns out is just this huge con artist. Like he does this for like a living, um, but they clear, I think they catch him, but they clear Gladys Miss Cram. They, they kind of recognize that she just was doing, um, like she was, I don't know, not infatuated, but like really liked Dr. Stone. And so wasn't going to give him up for anything because she, oh he had told her he had like fed her this lie that she had believed he had told her that the reason he had tied the suitcase is because other archaeologists were going to want to steal it from him and so they needed to hide it so that it couldn't be stolen yo this was just after the bone wars uh the dinosaur bone <laughs> wars in in the states so so totally possible. totally plausible that might have been her inspiration honestly <laughs> so you, yeah you get the sense or whatever so so Miss Cram is clear, the catch Dr. Stone. And so that, again, was also the side story. It had nothing to do with the murder. It was just kind of like coincidence. Um, oh, and then the last thing. I, I don't know if you picked up on this. I was trying to be really subtle because in the book, it's obviously like, you know, it's 300 pages long. So you don't really tie in everything. But me telling this story so quickly. I had said that the wife had arrived home on the day of the murder on the 650 train. And she had been pretty timely. The other guy said it was late. He said it was 30 minutes late. And so... Miss Marple has figured this out too. The reason that the wife, Griselda, was leaving Lawrence Redding's cottage is because she was the one that put that prank call to Mrs. Price Ridley. She had she had taken the earlier train. She'd been on like the 6.30 train and then had gone to Lawrence Redding's cottage, placed the prank like phone call, and then gone home. Why did you... And she had done it because Mrs. Price Ridley was the one that thought that someone was stealing from the from the church from the church and she thought it was the vicar. So she was spreading all these rumors about the vicar. And so the vicar's wife was like mad about it. <laughs> so it's just this whole like, totally separate thing. I see. That Miss Marple, of course, had picked up on. Of course. So what do you think? What do you think, Gabrielle? Uh I think Agatha Christie has more imagination than <laughs> I possess. Yeah, man, I couldn't write a book like this. Yeah. Pretty cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This was really fun. Um, I hope everyone at home was able to solve at least some part of the mystery. Um, Go check out my previous episode, and there will be more to come in the coming weeks. Ciao. Thanks for having me. Hi, Gabrielle. Bye.